Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Radically Loved Podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Acosta, and we are in season nine. I cannot believe it's been nine seasons doing this show, and we are headed towards 500 episodes. It feels like it's gone by so fast. So as humans, we all mess up. We need space to work our way through the complexity of life. If there's anything we've learned in the last two years is that we're all prone to disagreement. Messiness and complexity is a part of our human condition. And yet with the current climate of cancel culture, we see a world where our fault and mistakes are etched in stone thanks to the internet. It almost feels impossible to be truly authentic because of fear of being judged or banished. But what about when we're the ones that make a mistake? I've been plenty guilty of making many mistakes in my day. And I know that when I've made mistakes in the past, I needed to take a step back, take some time, really own up to my mistakes, and then begin the process to an honest and authentic way to make amends when needed. I am not a fan of throwing people away. I have a difficult time with the current climate of cancel culture. And I'm not trying to say that I want to create a culture of this laissez-faire where injustice goes unchecked. But I think there is a difference when we can come together to denounce something that is truly perceived as evil or wrong and also be a culture that invites people to a road to redemption, so to speak. I think part of what I've created here culturally at Radically Loved has been to create a place for people to go to, to get inspired, to feel a part of, because so much of what I felt growing up, especially in the environment that I grew up in, there was no place for me. And oftentimes I needed to either conform to the norm, which was me ending up in a terrible place with not great influences. So me going against the grain was challenging. And I have made plenty of mistakes in my life. And I know what it's like to, again, make my way to a state where I feel I have really learned from my experience. So I have a big, big heart and a lot of compassion for people that are on this route. That being said, the first lesson in Radical Love is to accept someone who has a desire for a life of truth and is willing to correct their mistakes. I speak from experience. That is the ethos of this space. And saying that, I know that there are people out here who might not agree with my opinion, and that's okay. Part of what we want to create here at Radically Loved is a place where everybody feels seen, heard, and understood. Today's conversation is with Yogarupa Rod Stryker. He has had a very humbling year, so to speak, and he's here to talk to us about the lessons that he's learned. We talk about the complexity and sensitivity of being in a position of power. We take a deeper look to see what happens during this accountability process. He talks about crossing emotional boundaries. And it's a conversation that I personally, as somebody who has studied with him, wanted to have in this public forum. And he's so committed to this change. And being as I wanted to understand what happened 
he agreed to have the conversation here on this public forum as he is a public person. And I've studied with him for well over a decade and a lot of my students have as well. This is a topic that I haven't talked about much in the last year. And I think part of my process was because I wanted to really understand how this affected the bigger tapestry of our community. And this is a very complex topic. It's a nuanced topic. And it is a conversation that we're not going to cover everything in 40 minutes. So saying that, if this is a conversation that you are open to receiving, by all means, thank you so much for being here. And if it's a conversation that you don't want to listen to, that's okay too. So that being said, here's my conversation with Yogarupa Rod Stryker. Hello friends, I wanna tell you about Kachava, my all-in-one daily super blend. If you're worried you aren't getting all the nutrients you need or struggling to stay on top of your health, then listen up because Kachava has you covered. Kachava puts everything in your body it needs in one glass so you can have it all. All the superfoods, all the vitamins, all the omegas, all the adaptogens, all the greens, all the proteins, all the benefits for your gut, your skin, your hair, your brain, your muscles, your heart, your whole health. No more compromise, no more guilt, no other nutrition shake does it all like this. They travel to the ends of the earth to source them all and crush it up. Kachava is a powder you take two scoops, just add water, blend it up, and it tastes incredible. They have five delicious flavors. Chocolate and chai are my personal favorite. I drink kachava for breakfast and it keeps me full for hours. There's no way I could get all of these nutrients in my normal diet. And trying to manage all of the supplements and the ingredients you should be taking, I mean, it's a little overwhelming and very expensive. But now Kachava makes clean, organic, superfood nutrition accessible to everyone. You've got to try Kachava for yourself. Kachava's offering 10% off for a limited time. Go to kachava.com forward slash loved, spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A and get 10% off of your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com forward slash loved to get 10% off for a limited time. Kachava.com forward slash loved. There is a very beautiful story that I will share, uh, if I may. Yeah. My grandmother had, uh, in the neighborhood we grew up in, East LA, like it was a housing project and a lot of immigrant families and... There was a Chinese family and they had a, you know, a little bonsai tree, like these, you know, beautiful garden right out front of their, their apartment. And there was a older lady who was the same age as my grandmother. And obviously my grandmother didn't speak any English. She's from Mexico, an indigenous, you know, I love woman your story that about she your is. in your book. I love your stories. About oh, her. yeah. No, good. I'm so glad that you liked it. Well, she and her bestie, we called her, they would just sit on this like stoop. And obviously they couldn't speak each other's language, but just to watch them, watching the birds and the trees and just the kids like pointing, you know, oh, butterfly. Oh, and then one would point and then the other one would point. Oh my gosh. And that experience, that moment of that has stayed with me in my entire life. This sort of connection without language Mm. that is beyond what we think makes us connected, right? We think language, we think similarities, we think when really connection is transcendent of what we can actually even say or see, right? Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned the Qigong and the breathing, and I would, that, oh, that's I know. I love that. where I went. I love it. And you know Desmond Morris, you know that book, his very famous book, The Naked Ape, and uh, it was about human beings. So he goes all over the world, and he tries to figure out what, what actually do we have in common? Because obviously we don't have language in common. We don't have rituals in common. We don't have diets in common. One is that all human beings, when they're happy, they smile, and when they are sad, they cry. Another is they all want the same. They all want their children to do better than them. 
under normal circumstances. And it's a very freaking short list about what we have in common. But that pointing that you're describing and them sharing that identification, that really speaks to our humanity. I mean, that's just beautiful. And that's, that is it. It defies language and borders. And yeah. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. I know it's been a very transformative year for you, for a lot of people, but I think particularly in the community that we're in, Mm. It has been a uh, uh, very, very, uh, I want to say, uh, yeah, transformative time in our world. And so I, I appreciate you always being open with me and with our listeners and with our community. And we're always so honored to have you with us. Mm. So I, I'd really love to just, you know, open the the forum here for us. I do want to talk about a couple of different topics with you and, and have this dialogue. Things that I've been thinking about too over the last year, two years that I, I'd really love to hear your insight on as well. But the floor is all yours. Well, I, I think I'd like to share the conversation and I can't think of anyone better to have this conversation with just because you are, well, I've told you before that I think you give the best interview. And so much of it is that you're a teacher as well as facilitating you know, speakers and things like that, and people knowledgeable in their field. So I'm hopeful this can be a teaching. I think this is something you and I both share, Rosie. We're seekers, we want to know, and we want to grow. So let's just start at the beginning of, of what brings us here, I think, which is just, first of all, the acknowledgement that in 2018, I got emotionally involved with a student. And over the next year, she was on the other side of the world. On the, over the next year, we communicated on and off. And then after that year, so a year later, after meeting her, we had a single physical intimate encounter. And then it became public about two years later. And that was the beginning of what would then unfold. So that was a year ago, almost to the week or to the day, practically, when it became public. So that was really the beginning. And we can go in a lot of different directions. I'm yeah. So why don't I just let Yeah, you... there was a lot of uh, learning that happened during that time, I'm sure. And it's always a difficult thing to discuss. And for me personally, I always find it a difficult thing to even probe on when there's other people involved, you know, and you only have one person. It's like you want to be able to share your experience, your feelings, what you learned from it where you want to go from where you are now. I'm fascinated with this dynamic, right? The dynamic that we're in. How do we move through having an experience like this as a community? You know, I've been studying with you for almost 10 years, more than 10 years. I yeah. can't I can't really actually yeah. think at the moment. And this has definitely created a shift in you as a person, obviously, but as a community, obviously, the last two years have been <laughs> a big learning for everyone on the planet. But I, I find that situations like this always open the door for an opportunity to learn something. Yeah, lots. I mean, just to kind of give you a sequence. So after it becomes public, I knew I had to respond and I knew I had to fill in a little bit of I had to be accountable. First time anything like this had happened in 38 years, I had to become accountable to the people who had studied with me and my teacher and my senior students and my family and this woman. Yeah. What does that accountability look like? I mean, for people. Well, first, I mean, first of all, it's not to deny, you know, right. and, and that that was part one. And then part two is just really acknowledging the the fundamental mistake around being in an up power position. By the way, a little more than a year ago, I wouldn't have had that language. So part of it was taking responsibility as the what I've what I've since learned and have a better clearly a better sense of. And you know, intellectually I had a sense of that before, which is obviously there's a ethical boundary you don't cross. Teachers should be a position and needs to be a position where we earn trust on a regular basis. And we maintain that trust no matter what. And I violated that trust. So accountability then literally looked 
like a letter that acknowledged the transgression and a full, a complete and utter apology and recognition of acknowledgement of my regret and my profound sorrow that I really understood that news of that was going to really hit a lot of people hard, people who had trusted me. And um, my saying that was incredibly, I mean, it was completely honest. I, I did have profound regret. So that's where it began. It began then also by going to my family and telling them there are dynamics in this that I'm not going to share just to protect them and to protect in a sense, in respect to this person. But really I essentially that's where that acknowledgement came. And, you know, and then furthermore, it was to send that letter took a couple of days to write a couple, three, four days to write just because I really wanted to own the responsibility of it and didn't want to blame it on my personal life or anyone else, nothing, just take responsibility for it. And then we sent that letter out to 25,000 people, which was my email list. I was certainly aware that it was going to cause a lot of hurt and pain. The news of it was not necessarily my letter. My hope was that the letter was expressed my profound humility and sorrow, frankly, about my actions and my choices. And so it began to take a life of its own in a way within the community. Some of it was really surprising. And then even cultural differences, America versus Europe versus other parts of the world, how they were reacting. Mm -hmm. Some were, okay, you're a human being. Can we move on? You know, different reactions from all different parts of the world. And then I really wanted to let it stand and begin this process of repair for myself to understand. And there was an ethics committee, which was part of Par Yoga, been developed years before. It was a code of ethics, and clearly I had violated those, that code. And then, you know, really self-reflection and, and looking to seek to understand it. On the side, what was happening then simultaneously is it began to turn into social media. A social media kind of gradually, I wouldn't call it a firestorm, but what not initially, but it would become that. And the main thing, Rosie, before we go any further, here's what I really want to say. I was responsible and I am responsible for my actions. And they were wrong on many levels and they were disappointing to me. And I disappointed a lot of people. It was a mistake. So anything that we talk beyond my beyond that is not an excuse. But over this past year, it was really important that I did that I did a searching self-inquiry as to why it happened. What was missing? One of the things I said was the teachings didn't fail me. I failed the teachings. Hmm. You know, I knew in my conscience. There was never a moment that I didn't know in my conscience that I had crossed a boundary that I'd never crossed before and it was wrong. But I did. We can talk about that. And uh, so whatever we talk about subsequently, social climate, firestorms on social media, the uh, whatever, none of it is an excuse. It's just part of perhaps an opportunity for me to learn that the search is perhaps we can say some things that might help other people. Yeah. Turns out, yes. So let's just, let's just, I just want to really make it clear. These are two separate things. Made a mistake, made a mistake. Having a conversation about it is to look at the underpinnings of human beings and social, our social flow and what all social dynamics and what that's like, your openness to have that conversation is one of the reasons I really wanted to yeah. do it with you. And I've remained quiet and behind the scenes for this past year. This is the first time we're having this conversation. Yeah. What has that been like for you to really go into that place? Because I have also had time to think about this and put myself in this position. And, and obviously, you know, I we're part of the same community. I, I know about the social media hellstorm that can potentially become really distracting. And I'm not to minimize people's opinions. I'm just saying that it's never productive. I've never had a conversation on social media in limited characters that actually moved the needle in one way or another. They're very much, it's a nuanced topic that requires a nuanced conversation. And part of my intention with having this conversation too is really to, to understand and to be able to see where we can, we can be 
better? Like, what do we take from this experience? Like, how do we move forward? Because it's so easy when somebody's hurt to throw the person away, you know, to throw the situation away or to say, oh, I'm never ever going to listen to what this person has to say, or this person's wrong, or this is never going to, I can't forgive this. You know, we we go into these uh, finalities. And I feel that for myself, that's never been my way. And, and I've talked to you at length about, it's not part of my fabric to be that way, because if it was... I'd be in jail or I'd be a drug addict or I'd be somewhere on the streets, living on the streets of Los Angeles, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think that it's very important for myself to be able to acknowledge the teachings that I've learned in a way to utilize it to serve our highest good, right? How do we, how do we take this experience Mm -hmm. and, and have the conversation and, and ask questions and, and move, move forward, right? I think it's actually really great that you took the time to inquire and do the work that you you did and again, I don't I've never been in the position that you're in, so so for me I all I can do is is empathize for this situation in its entirety for all parties involved. Right. I've said this before. You have a family, like there's a lot of humans, people, personnel involved in the situation. I think what I'm most interested in hearing from you is moving forward from this mistake that you've acknowledged. How do you even begin to, like, how do you even examine the parts of you that you were conscious of where you said, Mm -hmm. okay, like, Mm -hmm. I knew this was happening. Now I made this mistake. Now what? right? Like, where do you go from that point? Yeah. I mean, thanks for that. Thanks for asking that. And the truth was, I couldn't know how to go forward until I went backward. And I began to understand what, what, how, what, how, where, again, it was like, I had to go backward. And, and thank goodness, I got amazing advice about who to reach out to. And there's no reason she should remain anonymous. Cedar Barstow's phenomenal therapist who wrote a book called The Right Use of Power. And so there was this kind of dual track opportunity to learn. The first was really understand, you know, come to terms with my personal, my humanity, my fallibility, and specifically what was in place that could lead lead to me making this mistake. And I would offer that it was in place years, decades before, despite never having passed that, you know, ethical Rubicon, you know. The other track was to really get a better understanding of what it means to be in a position of authority. I was never taught that. In fact, I got a very mixed message from my teacher around never assuming, this is kind of what I got early on, never take on the ego of a teacher. And in fact, no one should know you're a teacher unless they see you teaching. I think I know now what he meant. But what happened to me was, to kind of look to blend the two. So I just looked like a guy who had studied a bunch, who had practiced a bunch, but I was just a guy. And here I am standing in front of you. I'm just a person with this experience I have as a a practitioner and as a teacher and as a student, as opposed to understanding that the moment we stand in front of somebody, we have authority. Whether we deserve it or not, we're suddenly in a position of authority and not fully grasping the complexity and the sensitivity of that, which this last year has provided. The promise when, when we first kind of interviewed each other about whether this was the right person to work with, she said something that actually brought me a little bit to tears. And she said, um, you know, this work that we're going to, I would do with you is It's going to supersede what you knew about your relationship to your students. And you're going to know in your body that your students will be safe always. Now, why I was struck by that is because that's all I've wanted my whole life, is students to be safe. And I I did, in fact, receive emails from folks who said, hey, that was not my experience of you. What's happening on social media and the way you're being portrayed, that was not my experience. But what struck me is that she was going to teach me and we were going to engage in a process where it became so organic 
that I wouldn't have to be doing this intellectual boundary thing, which I did for a long, you know, for decades. So that was part of the search. The other part of the search was to understand what could I do more effectively as a leader to ensure that the future version of whatever I did would be better, would support a culture of more, not a single authority, but rather an authority who, someone who has authority, but then who is empowering others to be also authorities, less, if you will, hierarchical and more of a shared cooperative community. And that also had to come into play. And that was part of our my education with her. And I did that work in part. It was one of the agreements I made with the ethics committee that I would do that work. I fulfilled it in terms of how long I would do it a long time ago. But I've continued the work because just because she's so extraordinary and the work has been so profound. And, uh, and I'm not done learning. Yeah, that's great. I, I wish that we could all do that training. I mean, it sounds like it, it's something that we... Anybody who teaches or is in that role of position of power should have that type of understanding. I feel like it's so easy to let the boundaries be blurred. I know that having the sort of background that I have where it's more intellectual and those boundaries are very clear, you know, I was, you know, the the very yoga works way was like, you don't befriend your students. Like there is a line and you just, and you don't go and and you do these certain things. And in a way that rigidity sometimes kept me in this really bizarre place of, I have to be separate now than the people in my community. And I didn't enjoy that. Like that didn't feel good in my body to be able to have that because part of the way I see it is more along the lines of what you're saying, a more communal experience where I respect my elders, I respect my teachers, I respect the people that I've learned from at the same time. I want to feel like I'm being empowered as opposed to, no, you have to do what I say in how I say it, or you're not getting the teachings, right? So Does that make sense? It does. And it's tricky. And the reason it's tricky is because, look, I certainly didn't get into teaching because I thought I was going to make a good living from it or a living. In 1980, that was a joke. Become a yoga teacher. There was like 10 of us in Los Angeles. You know, now, my God, you know, one block, there's 10 yoga teachers. But what I was going to say is uh, the difficult part is one of the reasons we do teach, especially because it was pre-Zoom era, where we actually got to see and be in a room with people, we can see and feel a certain personal fulfillment by virtue of making people feel better. Just by virtue of like taking them in a 90 minute, 60 minute class from one place to a better place. Man, that feels great. But where does it feel great? Yeah. How much is that fulfilling a personal need that I have to have value? Now we're starting to talk about one of the things I just realized how powerful and and perhaps even misplaced that was, which is how much personal fulfillment do I get from this professional role? And that's given the nature of the personality, given the nature of how personal this is and how you become idolized or like any power differential position, how there's projection and transference and all these things start happening really quickly. To not have that understanding that you're describing around those boundaries, for me, was was quite tricky, you know. And, and on the one hand, and here's, the tr- again, another level of trickiness. On the one hand, Rosie, caring that I was seen as being, having value in people's lives made me good at what I did. Because I was invested. I've been invested my whole life in making people feel better. And at the same time, I'm aware that there was a point where those lines between personal fulfillment and professional fulfillment started to blur. And ultimately, when I, you know, anyway, when I really came to difficult personal circumstances a few years ago, and they were, they were for a few years, I mean, You know, part of the story is I've raised four children. I've been married. 
I was married and health issues, you know, so we all have personal stuff. And as that started to weaken, and then, uh, and then in my personal life where I started to feel less, not value or not that I didn't have as much value, then, then it really started to get more tricky. And even I would say, even led to this transgression. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh, so I do want to say that that training is available. And in fact, it's going to be, uh, the plan is now, that's going to actually become part of uh, the Par Yoga curriculum. But what I've learned, many things, one of the things I've learned is, I just assumed that if people learned these principles, you've talked enough about them in this podcast. I've actually come on and offered snippets of this of this wisdom, which is really potentially life-changing knowledge. And you do the practice associated to them. So I just assumed if people had the knowledge and people did those practices, that was all you needed to do to have a better life. The third part is really understanding that that was missing was somehow addressing how do we teach people? How do I teach people in the most effective way possible? Misuse of power is something that's used a lot. That's a term that's used a lot. And Cedar was the one who taught me that power is nothing more than the ability to create an effect or to have influence. If I have power, then I can I have influence. If I have power, I can create an effect, more so than someone who has less power. And, and there's three kinds of power, all of that other stuff. How do we use our power effectively? And that's something I've had to think about a lot and what it looks like going forward. And that's why I went backward to start to answer those questions, but it's going to become part of the curriculum. It isn't just about study and practice. It's also understanding your role as a teacher and all of the complexity and the nuance in it. Yeah. How has this changed your, or if it has, I I don't know, that's why I'm asking you, but how is your, what is your intention behind teaching? Has it changed since you first started? I would say, honestly, that What's changed, what will change is and has changed because I've taught now a few live events, just three, I think, three or four. Number one, just the privilege. I'm aware of the privilege. I've always thought it was, I was, I, had, I knew I had a privileged and blessed life in a way to be able to be afforded the, the trust and then the ability to do what I do, which is something I loved. You know, I've always loved it. And I've, I've helped a lot of people. So I walk into it with a level of appreciation beyond anything I knew before. The other thing is understanding that I'm renting that space as a teacher. I'm literally, as the fates would have it, being afforded the opportunity to sit in front of people or stand in front of people and help them. And I walk into it acknowledging that, full on, like fully acknowledging, okay, for the next hour, two hours, I'm renting this space. But the teacher is inside everybody. And I'm just here to help remind them of their inner teacher or take them back to themselves. I would say those are the main things that have changed. Also, you know, I can't help but bring a lot of what I've learned about the complexity to it and a greater sensitivity. I'm more open to feedback. I'm constantly looking for how I could do it better in ways that I probably wasn't doing before I thought I was but I'm learning I could have done it better. And then there's really organizational stuff, which is not just like mindset stuff, but it's really trying to put stuff in place where people, the stakeholders in Par Yoga, and anyone new coming to it will have a different feeling within it when they come to it, a greater feeling of inclusion, that that it breathes with more life, and that there is a really a greater emphasis that in the end, there's always been this, but in the end, we really have to be deliberate about how we can embody more kindness. Now with the open app, you can get breath work that is and feels sustainable for you. It's way less intimidating. It's so quickly become a part of my ritual and my routine. I don't know if any of you saw that I posted an Instagram story not that long ago where I showed you exactly how I love to use it. I do it right in between 
calls, when I'm doing either Zoom calls or I'm in the middle of a work day, I just take a short three to five minute breath work and it's so cool. It infuses great audio right behind the tracks and it is totally sustainable. What I really love about it is the live class component. Me and two other friends have been able to sign on at the same time to take Olivia's class, whose voice sounds like an angel. And I love the wind down evening live stream that she does on Sunday. It's such a nice way to head into your week. You definitely get way more than you pay for. It's $20 a month and it's so worth it. You can cancel at any time. And I got to try it for free for 30 days. And if you're wanting to tap into a community that you can tap into anywhere in the world, this is it. This is your mindfulness studio in an app form. I think you're really going to dig it and you can invite your friends to class too. I worked together with Open to get you all 30 days free so you can try it out and see if you'll enjoy it as much as I do. There's a link in the show notes with open.com forward slash loved. I'll be sharing on my social too. And you can check it out on your own at any time with open.com forward slash loved. That's W-I-T-H-O-P-E-N dot com forward slash L-O-V-E-D. Use the promo code LOVED for your 30 days free. I have a couple of questions about this particular topic because I think as a student, forever a student that I am, Hopefully I stay in that space forever. I always feel and observe that there's so much power in learning to discern, having autonomy, being able to utilize the practice of yoga, which means union, your ability to understand and observe or discuss paradox as something that's an open dialogue. It's something that's living and breathing. And I always find it fascinating when we make everything into such a religion mm. in a way like, a, and I'm not trying to say religion is derogatory. I'm meaning it in the term, in, in the way of it's so rigid. Like there's a rigidity to what we learn as kind hearted human beings, you know, like I'm, I'm an old school. I love the yoga sutras, right? Like that's, that's my text. I love it. It, the way I describe it, it's, it's a how to on how to live a more sustainable joy for me. Like that's what that book's about. More sustainable joy for me. It doesn't mean you're going to get to this place and then you're going to descend into the heavens and start floating and, you know, live in this ecstasy although that sounds amazing, but it's just really not, I'm a practical person, right? So when I'm thinking of everything that's happening and you're talking about the word kind and I go back into social media, I go into a situation like this where isn't part of falling and making mistakes and learning also like having that community surrounding you, helping you through this experience, you know, like I put myself, I put myself in this position, right? I'm like, how would I, I'm a flawed individual. How would I deal with a situation like this? First of all, I would always want to be learning. I'd always want to be open. I mean, even when you're saying, oh, I'm more open to feed, not that you weren't before, but like you're open to feedback, you're you're more aware. I mean, I think about it and I'm like, man, I'm not open to feedback at all. Like I think about, I'm like, I don't want anybody giving me feedback. I mean, you've heard me speak to you. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do this. And this is just the way it's going to be done. And yeah. And I say it and, you know, I'm kidding. And of course, I'm like wanting to learn as well and I'm wanting to be open. But at the same time, I think there is something to be said about us being able to look at the macro experience of the whole. Like, how do we continue to learn and be compassionate and kind human beings in this process? You know, we come to the space 
of yoga and meditation, mindfulness, all these practices into wellness. I wrote about it in the book, right? It's like we come into this space because we're not well. Like we are looking for something. We are wanting some void to be filled. We're wanting connection. We're wanting to find that sense of belonging. And how do we continue to cultivate that having that sense of compassion, still having the openness of learning and evolving, but letting there be space for nuance, you know? I don't oh, even know boy. if I asked you a question. Oh, I just boy. was wanting to well, rant. Listen, Sorry. Um, I think it's hard. Listen, frankly, we don't live in nuanced times. Nuance doesn't really, it's really hard to do nuance on social media. Nuance is conversation. For example, well, we'll get to that. I hope we get to impact versus intent. But what I would say is we want the people who are in positions of authority to be infallible, naturally, because we're trusting them. Right. But here's another part of the dynamic. If you're in a position of authority and I'm trusting you, there's a tendency to want to inflate the person in the position of authority because to the extent that you get approval from them, it feels even better if you place them really high. Like the higher the stage or station that the approval is coming from, it makes me feel even better. If someone I don't respect approves me, eh, whatever. But if someone I really respect or then double really respect or then quadruple respect approves me, it gives me even a bigger hit. And at the same time, if someone in authority who I've entrusted does something to disappoint me, then I have, it's almost like the more I pull them down, the more it validates my hurt. That's one thing I noticed. I mean, it was clear to me, look, I know what I did. And although it was portrayed, one person's version of it is one thing. The truth is, I just assume most mature human beings understand there's at least three stories for every story. There's that one, there's that one, and then there's that that sees over it. What I do know is that when there's a power differential, all the projections are multiplied. And now the perception, the level, the, the capacity to perceive accurately is thrown off. And that's both on the part of the person in the down power position as well as the up power position. So that's a given. That's a given. Now you throw power differential into that dynamic. More and more, we begin to see there's real challenges about how we maintain, how we deal with infallibility or fallibility. To answer some of those questions, Rosie, and the way you framed it and you contextualized my year, this past year, is so accurate. It's, it's been the hardest year of my life. Anyway, short of my kids being in ICU for a month and the months that followed, this has been the hardest personal year of my life, without a question. I know what I did. I know what I didn't do. And I want to say that 85% of what happened on social media was stuff I didn't do. I mean, I got accused of being an alien. I got accused of being, seriously, I'm not, I'm not like joking. I got accused of, well, people sloughed it off, said I was worth $19 million. I won't tell you what, how much less I was, but it's not even 1% of that figure. I was somehow that I had a magic, I had magic yogic powers that could coerce or put people under spells. Then comes the news that I had coerced my first wife using my yogic powers to have children when she didn't want to have children. And I can tell you, each one of those things more ludicrous than next, I, I couldn't convince her to have Chinese food if she wanted Italian. So the idea of children is like insane. You're laughing. And <laughs> I'm watching this play itself out. I'm just watching. And every week, it was almost like people had to be more angry and more irate. And once in a while, someone would try and jump into the middle, into the middle to voice like, hey, wait a minute, maybe that maybe we're taking this a little far. Then they got shouted out. Yeah. Know? Then the then the village, you know, people with the rocks started. Yeah. Possibly so I mean, it's the it's the people want to corroborate the story and they want to know like, oh, my goodness, this is happening. Like what? My whole world has just been. But I want to just say, let me just say something, because listen, I'm a, I'm actually, you know, the most powerful women in my organization, most powerful people were all women. The most accomplished people were all women. 
I am sensitive to the fact I'm white, I'm a male, I'm, mid, I'm middle-aged, I was fairly, I was comfortable financially, et cetera. And men have done it badly for a frigging long time, horrendously. And the more you look into it, the worse it gets, truly. It brings me chills about how badly men have done civilization again and again. The thing, and, and I'm a man, so now there would be a logical jump for, okay, he's a man, he fucked up. And men have been doing really bad things for a really long time. The idea that maybe I actually cared about this person and was deeply, yet deeply conflicted, almost is beside the point. There is no serial thing. And this idea of holding nuance is, on the one hand, there's a desire, and I understand it, to try and change stuff. So here's, I became a target because I made this mistake, indeed. And then it's almost like now it's confirmation bias. It's like, you know, and that's a real thing. It's like people want more evidence to be yeah. angry at the male patriarchy and I get it. I get it. Yeah. I it's also it. a little bit of schadenfreude, right? Where people are, that's just part of our social norms now to be able to observe and see people fall from grace or go through a really difficult time. I see it all the time. I saw a lot of it in the last two years, you know, some of it maybe justified, some of it was not. I think it's, again, comes back to this uh, what is it like a mob mentality, right? Where we want to actually, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because I know that for me, anytime I've been in a situation where I'll give you an example, there's a, a I was in this like business mastermind group and the leader of that particular group got exposed for doing some naughty things with money. And here we are learning about money. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a little bit of this, like, I mean, I learned some really great things, really great things. However, now it, it just, I'd like to really distance myself from this whole experience. And, and I know that part of my response was to just disconnect. I'm like, nope, I need to just pull away and, and I need to just distance myself because I don't necessarily want to be associated with somebody who, who does that. And then the other four of my friends who, you know, were very much uh, fans of this person, then all of a sudden it became a looking for corroborating, oh, I should have known this because of this and because of that. And you know, it's just that that turn, right? Where you just, we turn to corroborate a story. Whether it's true or not, I'm not validating whether it's it's true or not. I'm only speaking from my experience. But I, I did see how easy it would have been for me to go on that train and write the letters and and be a part of that sort of interview process to expose more of this person's behavior and for me, it just, there was no value there. This person obviously made a mistake. And by the way, months later, we found out that it wasn't her. It was her boyfriend who was doing this weird stuff with her account. I don't know. Anyway, it didn't matter. I was out and I learned some really great things and then I moved on. But I think part of that dynamic, I feel like, is what we need to be able to discern, right? Like, I'm curious, just you've been on a potentially maybe a similar situation or maybe you've experienced similar dynamics, but like, how are we supposed to reconcile that? What are we supposed to do in that situation? Like, what is the remedy there? You know, I'm a big fan of autonomous thinking. I have an opinion. And if I don't have an opinion right away, I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon because as I said, you know where I'd end up had I jumped up on the bandwagon. I was not going down the right path. So I'm a fan of just following my own decision-making, discerning and disseminating information on my own, on my own time, not on somebody else's timeline. So yes, help me. Well, there's a lot, there's a bunch, you know, to unpack. And, and um, number one is, 
this is sociological. We're hardwired to look around us about how people are reacting. Yes. You know, how should I react to this? Now, is that spiritual? Is that a spiritual, is that helpful spiritually? Part of that actually explains evidently, you know, people will do things in a group they would never do one-on-one. No, even if it triggers stuff for you. Wow. And this is how they explain the, and by the, you know, this is how they explain English hooligans, you know, the soccer crazy thing that happens. A lot of those dudes who beat other countries, you know, fans up would never do that alone. But there is a furor in that. And there's also we're fed and we're supported. And and by the way, you know, social media figured out, and that's why certain things stay in the logarithm and stay up top, is that rage creates a dopamine release. You get high on rage. We get high on it. Is that and so you have those two things. So the rage builds the kind of one-upmanship of the outrage has to build each week with future posts. The question I think we need to ask ourselves is since when did liking something hateful become a good thing? Mm. We do it. I watched it happen. People I taught and supported and who reached out to me in the middle of the night about cancer and emergencies in their life. And I was there. They joined this, this, the Fuhrer and this thing and and every piece of kind of fictionalized, whatever, every story becomes more outrageous in a way. And just to add to that, I mean, the truth is that some of the people who express the greatest level of outrage, I reached out to. So let's talk about it. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher and a student or a politician. Or you're a couple. You're married. You have a partnership there will always be a gap between intent and impact. Mm. There just always will be. Even, I mean, I know you and Tori have been together, how long, 20 years? 19 and going on 20. And I was about to get a divorce this morning. So we'll see how, how if we make it to 20, but you can continue. My point is that <laughs> even after 20 amazing years and the two of you, I know you will survive, are amazing. There's always a gap, even in our most trusted. There's just a gap. We're complicated. This whole thing, relationships. By the way, relationships are the most complicated thing your brain, our brains have to deal with. The reason we dream at night is because of the complexity our, our brains need. Dreams to process all of those synapses that are firing with the complexity. I really think they have to... The yoga tradition, which I love it, when you were talking about your, your praise in yoga, yoga sutras, it's one of those books. I read it about a different book called the Yoga Vashista, but it's in the introduction. And it says, everything you need to know is in this book and nothing you don't need to know is in this book. <laughs> so how about that? How about that? for that? So that's the yoga sutras to both, to both of our minds. Yeah. But the yoga sutra says we harm ourselves when we're in judgment, it darkens our heart. We've lost people. And we've, I've already pissed people off just by showing up and you giving me this opportunity to have this conversation. I'm sure there's some real people who take things out of context. I already, I had to make peace with that before I said, yes, let's do this. But anger and judgment, if you will, and this kind of seeing, you know, someone below us and someone, you know, and that we're above them and, Collecting a community of people who agree with our version, whether it's outrage or love or joy, all of that actually darkens our own ability, limits our ability for lasting peace within ourselves. I mean, the reality is that I had to do two things. I had to figure out how to forgive myself. There's a big difference between making a mistake and being a mistake. And I realized I've lost some people, much of the way it sounds like this teacher lost you. but. What I can say and what I've watched is even people who have left are teaching what they learned. They're calling it a different thing, but they're teaching what they learned. And if people can't find forgiveness, I still have to kind of love them and respect them for their choice anyway. Everyone gets to make that choice. The first thing I had to do was, and it's been a long process that I would say is still not over but understanding the difference between regret and shame. 
And uh, shame freezes you in place. And if I'm going to be of any value to my family, to the students who either have chosen to be stay or who might choose to come back, or to the people whose voice I, you know, who haven't heard or gotten what I have to offer as a resource, if I'm going to be of any value, I had to find a way to forgive myself and see see those distinctions. And then from the very beginning, and actually I found it easier to forgive those who were saying what they were saying. And that's why I reached out to them and tried to find a, a bridge between the two things, the impact, how I had impacted them and, and uh, how, um, yeah, my impact and uh, my intent. I think you, you called it out. It, it, it requires us to kind of be willing to stand alone and to look, to not react. I really, one of the reasons I did not come out stridently against every every one of these accusations and portrayals of me that were really like, like fairy tales almost, is I realized one, some of them were so outrageous, I just didn't want to give them any credibility. By saying, no, it's not true. I didn't curse my first prize. I don't have any yogic powers. I'm not worth 19 million. The moment you do that, you're giving credibility to it. But the other thing was to give people the space to do their thing. And uh, it may have been a mistake. I mean, I know someone who continues to say something about an election that's fiction, you know, and continues to insist on it. And people are believe, some people believe that. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, you know, I, it may have been a mistake not to be a little more. I mean, there is no, I mean, it just is what it is. There's no, there's no. I mean, that's part of it. And I think for me, that's always the most terrifying and most exciting portion of the programming that is life it's like the not knowing mm. did i should i should i have done this did i make a mistake should i have said should i not have said should i posted this should i delete this it's like the indecision will crush you and i think part of living here for this short amount of time i'm really here for just just a blink in time like I, you know, grew up around people who were uh, addicted to drugs, alcoholics, people that cheated on their wives and husbands and made all kinds of mistakes and vices and so on. And if there's, and I've been in therapy my entire life, thanks to that. Thanks. It's a blessing, not a curse. I have so much compassion for, because I know the backstory, you know, I know the looking backwards. I know what that looks like. I know that some of my family members, I know the abuse that they suffered when they were children. I know the the tumultuous path that they had to take to get to this place. I know about their history of mental health, like mm. all of those factors matter. People just look at the mistakes or people just look at the vices like, oh, there he's just a drug addict. Like who he's just a drug addict. They're just a throwaway person. And I just Rosie, there's a there's a French proverb. It's so simple. What you're saying means a lot. It's simple. One who understands all forgives all. Context. The Yoga Sutras, it's about context. It's about context. Even the famous Hollywood slap. I had my judgment about it. And then I heard about his upbringing as a boy. I still don't think the slap was right. I haven't corrected that in my mind. And this is purely subjective. But when I heard about him witnessing his mother being beaten again and again and again, and a vow he made to himself, it's context. And my whole sense of him softened. So your willingness to do that I don't think it happens until we understand more and we see what you just said, the context of their upbringing and the mental illness. And that uh, invariably, if we invite, if we create pain for someone else, we're in pain. Yeah. It's not easy, but. Yeah. Um, and we, that's exactly what you're saying. I, I love that quote. That's beautiful. I think we go into the state of needing to either condemn or condone something in order to corroborate our own narrative and it doesn't give space for the other. Mm -hmm. And I thought that what we were doing here was 
to be able to learn how to be with the other, how to be together and how to allow the space for the conversation. And and I I so appreciate you uh, taking this time and, and doing this here with me. And um, I think as you learn, we learn. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to be able to learn from our mistakes and move forward and and be able to understand uh, nuisance and have nuanced yeah. conversations in a way that I think ultimately creates more space for more of that love and compassion and kindness that we need to create in the world. Sounds like radical love to me. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, and by the way, can I still call you Yoga Rupa? I meant to ask you that. Is that, what, you know, is, what is the deal with this? Is this a thing? Well, it's one more. I mean, we're, you know, the last thought was this ability to hold nuance, right? So let me ask you a question because some people really like, oh no, you ain't no Yoga Rupa. Oh so boy. Let me ask you a question, just theoretically. Who led who down? Did Yoga Rupa let down Rod or was it just Rod coming to the surface and there never was a Yoga Rupa? I mean, the idea that you're one or the other, I don't really give a shit what you call me. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I answer to both and probably a couple other names, including Daddy. Or da- <laughs> Daddy. I think if I called you that, all That'd this shit would funny. just... That'd be a little fun. <laughs> Especially after that 20 year, you know, I'm sure you're going to make it to 20. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm, I'm curious. Okay. Who who led who down? Yeah. Was it? Okay. So the idea that yoga Rupa is somehow perfect. No yoga Rupa practiced every day because there was a spark that said you can be better. And I became that because I was inspired to be better. And is yoga rupa means the embodiment of yoga. Yoga doesn't say you've arrived. Yoga says, I'm going to do this stuff and get better. Literally, that's the meaning of it. I'm going to change direction. I'm always changing. What's the positive direction of change? I'm going to do yoga to move in the positive direction of change. That's it. So who led who down? So is the only one left standing is Rod, the, the, the failure? Because I would say that Rod was the one who actually created yoga rupa. So call me whatever you want. I, it doesn't. If you attach to the idea that Rod is imperfect, the Yoga Rupa was perfect. Trust me, Yoga Rupa was never perfect. Okay. Yeah. I'm here for it. So again, this has been such a very eye-opening conversation. And again, I'm I'm really grateful that you agreed to do this, to have this conversation here for you know, our community to, to hear there's a lot of value. I think that people are going to take, take away from this. And it truly is what this community is all about. It's, it's what radically loved means is what it's what radical love is. And um, my hope is that you continue to be open and continue to learn and continue to do what you do best is teach and and continue to hold that space for the people who who need it. So thank you so much for for doing that and for being here. Thank I you. do have a final question for you. Mm. It's so hard to be like final question. This is the final question. Final one. The final one. I asked you something similar when we were in Colorado once when we we did one of one of our interviews together in person. The question was under a different context. I'm curious if it has changed now. This has been a very transformative year for you in many ways and in all areas of your life. If there was one lesson from all of this that you could embed to your children, and I'm sure there's many, but as a father what would you leave them with? It's really easy because it's been a topic of conversation and I've been living it throughout this year. 
it's self-acceptance, without a doubt. My youngest are 14. And I was, that's when I, I started feeling the most confused, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. But it, the events of a couple of years ago were kind of the culmination of not having come fully around self-acceptance. Mm. And then this year of watching so many people that I had known for decades and truly uh, loved and cared for, having watched them disappear, I was really left alone. And so self-acceptance became even more relevant because if I, if, if, if there wasn't self-acceptance at that point through the worst of this year, I don't, there wouldn't have been anything left of me. There really was not been anything left. So that's, uh, and I watched my 14 year olds, a son and a daughter, and they're extraordinary beings. And I can watch that the level of their, not just the level of their comfort, but the level of their actualization of becoming the fullest version of themselves is utterly dependent on their self-acceptance, the light and the dark. And so there's no question that I would, um, that, that, that uh, once again, there's nothing more essential in my mind because then truly when that happens, we can accept this world with all its complexity, the people, the mistakes, even the sides of the argument that we vehemently disagree with. We don't have to dehumanize them. We don't have to be rooted in self-justified anger to stand in integrity. And it's in accepting our own humanity that the world's made better. As you said, globally, this is a not even a blip on the screen of human existence. The earth is crying for our help. There's so many, there's so many issues for us. And um, I think self-acceptance is really critical. And uh, say no to hate. Yeah. Before I ask you the final, final question, JK. Where can people go for more information or to connect with you? Just easiest thing is robstriker.com. We'll put that in the show notes. And the final question, see if your answer has changed, is how do you feel radically loved? In conversation and um, in this kind of stuff where we allow each other's vulnerability to be seen and shared and we listen and uh, we're that's embraced you're the best and thank you for this opportunity thank you for the opportunity thank you so much for listening to the radically loved podcast please remember to subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcast and follow us on facebook at radically loved rosie on instagram at rosie acosta and twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com. <laughs>